Hallelujah. Well, every year about this time, we go through a series that, that, that we've entitled Who We Are. And we talk about who we are as a church. And I do it every year because, and it's funny, every year I, I debate with myself, am I going to do it again this year? And then I, I think about who's coming to the church, and there's always at least a few people that weren't here last year for when we did this series. And then I'm always reminded of what Peter said uh, in 1 Peter. He says, I, I'm, I'm okay to stir you up by way of reminder. Some of the stuff that we're going to go through this uh, over the next several weeks, a uh, couple months, it's about, I think, uh, 10 weeks or something like that, is stuff you guys have all heard before. And the truth is, even if you've never been here for this series, you've heard it all before. We're going to cover some basics, but it's who we are as a church, the culture of who we are. And the thing is, is that it's important to know who we are as a church because you have to, to know who you are to understand why you do the things that you do. If you know who we are, then you're going to understand why we do the things that we do and what is important to us. Because the reality is, is that you're not actually what you do, you're who you are. What you do stems from who you are. And over the course of this series, we're going to talk about uh, a few key things about the culture of our church, who we are, what we believe. And the first one we're going to talk about, which is today, is that we're a people who are saved by grace. Then we're going to talk about different things, like we're people who walk by faith. We're a people who are worshipers. And we're going to work on that. You know, that first song was a good clap song. I saw some people tapping their legs, but nobody wanted to clap. It's okay to clap. You're not going to hurt God's ears. You might hurt Jan's ears, but you're not going to hurt God's ears. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> we're also going to talk about being a people filled with the Spirit. We're a people who pray. Um, we're a family. And then we're going to talk about how we're a people who are generous. And then finally, we'll go over what our mission statement is. And essentially is, is we evangelize, we equip, and we empower. Our goal is to evangelize loss and get people saved. And the truth is, that's something we're going to have to think about over the next coming years because after COVID, the whole landscape looks different. Stuff that we did before, where we, we were able to make an impact, it looks different. And we're not able to do things the same way. So we're going to have to think about that. And, and uh, bad news, I guess it's, it's not bad news. It might be some shock news to you guys. But I think evangelism going forward is going to rely on personal relationships with the people that you know talking to people. It's going to be less about a corporate thing where we all go to a park and hope to, to make an impact, although we'll still try to do those things, but it's going to be more important for us to reach out as individuals to friends and family and people that we work with and minister the gospel ourselves, which the truth is, that's what the Great Commission says we're supposed to do. It doesn't say that, that just the pastors, the evangelists, the prophets, and the teachers, those are the ones that are supposed to do it. We're all supposed to do it. The next part is, is after evangelize, we want to evangelize the saints, then we want to equip the saints, which means that after we get somebody saved or after somebody's a Christian, we want to equip them with the stuff that they need, whether that's resources, knowledge, we want to train them and get them ready so that they can go ahead and, and learn and become stronger Christians, actually be more effective administering the gospel. And then finally, we want to empower those same saints into stepping out into the ministry that God has called them to. You know, one of the things that... Uh, uh, is different about this church than maybe other churches you've seen is we want everybody involved. We want everybody doing something. And some people don't like that, I've, I found out. <laughs> but the truth is, is that we're all to serve in the kingdom of heaven. And we want to empower people to step out into the ministry that God has called them to. 
But today we're going to focus on the reality that we are a people who are saved by grace. And the key points that we're going to talk about today that we need to remember is that one, we can't earn salvation. Two, it's a gift available to everybody. There's nobody excluded from the gift of salvation. And as a result of this salvation, we are completely clean, we are completely redeemed, and we are made brand new. Amen? Amen. All right, so the first verse we're going to look at today is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Before we can even look at salvation, we have to recognize that there's actually a real need for salvation. If nobody needed to be saved, then there's no point about talking salvation. It would just be a bonus but, or, or something that would be good to talk about. But the reality is, is that every single person that has ever lived on this earth, save Jesus, needs to be saved. And every single person has fallen short. There's not one person ever that has lived that was good enough except Jesus. John 8, 16, 8 through 9 says this, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And as you guys know, this verse is referring to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, what his ministry is on this earth. And it says, When he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he clarifies that because too many people think, oh, he's here to convict the world concerning sin. So the Holy Spirit's point of purpose is to go around and pointing out how everybody's messing up. That's, a, that, that's what people think. The Holy Spirit is there to point out your failures. But that's not what it says. It says concerning sin, it clarifies. How many of you guys are glad when the Bible clarifies stuff? I know I am. He says concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So when the Holy Spirit is convicting the world about sin, he's not pointing out individual sins. He's pointing out their need for a Savior. Well, we just talked about all have fallen short of the glory of God, and the Holy Spirit convicts the world that they need a Savior. And I think maybe we should take this approach with people as well. Now, the reality is that the Holy Spirit still has to speak to them. He still has to impact their heart. But we should have the same attitude as God has about this. We need to let people know that, hey, you do need a Savior. There's nothing that you can do to do it for yourself. There are so many people that live in this world and they think that, that you guys may have heard this, I'm a pretty good person. Oh, I'm not, God wouldn't send me to hell because I'm a pretty good person. But the thing is, is there's nothing that we can do to make up for our sins. And the reality is, is that all have sinned. Every single person has sinned at least once in their life. The ultimate truth is, is that we're born sinners. That's, the, that's what has to be resolved. That's what salvation is about. You heard me say earlier, you know, we, we do what we are. <laughs> we, we do what we are. So if you're a saint, if you're born again, what you do comes out of, of who you are. But if you're a sinner, which is how we're born, every single one of us are born as sinners, what we do stems from that. That's why if somebody's not saved and you expect them to, to act like a Christian, you're, you're a little crazy in the head. They're not saved. They're sinners. So because they're sinners, they sin. That's the other part we get confused, right, too, is did you know that they're not sinners because they sin? They sin because they're sinners. And that's a huge difference. It's all about identity. 
So then we have these people that are sinners, and that's how we were all born. All of us were born sinners. We were born enslaved to sin. We had no freedom from it. The truth is, is there was nothing that we could do but sin. It was impossible for us not to sin while we were sinners. We were born not right with God. And this is not just this new idea in the New Testament that we're not born, with, with, born right with God, because this is true all throughout the Bible. That's the reason that we actually have the law, was to demonstrate how far off we actually were. You know, when we got the law, uh, people might have known they were a sinner before, but when we got the law, we realized how bad it really was. Because even Paul said, you know, I wouldn't even known envy was a sin if the law had not told me it was a sin. And that's the reason why that there was the temple and sacrifices in the Old Testament, because they were sinners. They needed something to cleanse them from their sins. And it was a stopgap. That's what it was, was a stopgap until Jesus came. And Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And that's just a fact. The truth is, is when you're talking to people who aren't even believers, you really don't have to argue all that hard to make them see this. That All of us know this intrinsically, that, that we fall short, that we have failed, that we have sinned. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and he convicts the world, convicts the world of this as well. He, 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 he convicts them that they need a Savior. There is a real need for salvation in this world. And just of all of, the, of those of us who are saved, we're yearning for something before we found Jesus. Even though we might have known what we were looking for, we might not have known. The thing is, is, is we, don't know, we didn't know what we were looking for before Jesus because if you think about all the places you looked for it, <laughs> You knew something was missing, so what did you do? I don't know what you guys did, but I can tell you a little bit about my life. I was looking for fulfillment in women or cars or stuff or drugs or alcohol, all of these things. I wasn't always a pastor, and I was looking in the wrong place. And it wasn't until I found Jesus that I actually found fulfillment because you can find all of those things and you think that it's going to be enough, but it's just a temporary fix. And the next day you realize you're yearning for something more that wasn't enough and you need more and more. It wasn't until that, that I found Jesus that I found fulfillment. And the problem is, is that even though we're looking for something to fill that hole, the reality is, is that we have a God sized gap that we're trying to fill with stuff that's not God-sized. It doesn't bridge the gap. We're trying to fill it with stuff that'll never fill it up. We can never get across. Have you guys ever seen that illustration of the God on one side of a chasm and then man on the other and they're trying to get across? And the only thing that'll bridge the gap that becomes a bridge for them is if you lay the cross across it. And that's a reality. The only thing that can bridge that gap to fill that hole is the cross. And that's fantastic news. And what's great about it is that every single one of us has the opportunity to receive that free gift of salvation because God doesn't love us because of the things that we've done. Somebody should have yelled amen. God doesn't love us because of the things we've done. And he doesn't hate us because of the things we've done. That's good news. The, one of the, the greatest things that I, that I, that I know is that, that God loves me not because of what I've done, but in spite of what I've done. Because I don't know about you guys, but I've done some dumb stuff. But the reality is, is that we all fall short. We're all broken. But God has provided a supernatural solution to what otherwise would have been a hopeless and impossible situation. Amen? Man, you guys are quiet out there. 
Maybe I'll ask the, I'm going to ask this church over here. God has provided a solution for a hopeless situation. Amen? Amen. Amen. There we go. I've got to talk to the young people. All you old people over here just sleeping or something. I don't know what's going on. Hallelujah. Let's continue on to Romans uh, 3, 24 through 25. It says, And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. The great news is this, that even though all of us have fallen short, all of us are justified by His grace. We're not justified by the things that we do, how we live. And here's the thing about grace. Grace is often simply defined as this. You've probably heard it before, but it's simply defined as getting something that you don't deserve, right? And mercy is the opposite, not getting something you do deserve. But grace is actually so much more than that because grace is everything that God accomplished in Jesus Christ. And all those things that we're getting that we didn't deserve, that's things like righteousness. His patience with us is an act of grace. Our freedom from sin is an act of grace. Our release from the bondage of death is an act of grace. All of those things are grace, and the best part of them all is that they're all free. We don't have to do anything to earn them. And they're all given as a gift from God because He loves us. And here's the thing, God's love for us eclipses even your greatest imagination of what the best love could be. He loves us. And here's the thing, the scripture says that it's justified by His grace as a gift. Here's the thing about gifts is you don't have to earn gifts. Has anybody ever had to work for your birthday gift? I never did. They just came when it was my birthday. All I had to do was be born and I wasn't even part of that decision-making process. You just receive those free gifts. You don't pay for them. And this justification, it comes through Christ, that free gift. Jesus was the method that God used to make us right with him. And here's the thing, and you really need to get this if you're born again. He was enough. Jesus was enough to save you. There's nothing else that you have to do afterwards. You just have to remain in faith. But without Jesus, there is no redemption. Without Jesus, there is no hope. There is no other way. But as a result of Jesus, we have all been declared not guilty because Jesus bore our guilt. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you are, are, are charged with a crime and you go before the courts and you have a trial, when it's all said and done, they determine that you're not guilty, then that entire record, that entire charge, everything is expunged from your record. You are no longer uh, considered as being part of that. You're not guilty of that. It's completely removed. Legally speaking, it's as if a person has never been accused if you're declared not guilty. So when God forgives us and he declares us not guilty, our record is wiped clean. You see, too many people, they think that they look at their life and they wonder, how could God love me about the things that I've done? And even if he forgives me, he must remember that. He, he must He's just waiting to use that against me if I mess up again or I do something stupid. But the reality is, is when you receive Jesus, your record is wiped clean. 
from God's perspective, it is as though you have never sinned. It's not like God ignores your sin. It's not like he's somehow duping himself. But the thing is, is when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the life of Jesus, a life that has never sinned. Your record has been wiped clean. And that's what it means to propitiate. That's what it says here. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. What it means to propitiate is to appease. God's legal requirements for sin, which is death, right? We all know that when the wages of sin is death. God's legal and righteous requirement for sin is appeased and fulfilled by the blood of Jesus. And all that is left for us is to, be, is to receive it by faith. To receive that propitiation. We don't earn it. We just believe. We put our trust in the finished work that he had done. If not, it would be something like this. Say you're at a restaurant and you're eating dinner and there's a couple on the table next to you and without you knowing it, they go ahead and they find your waiter and, and they, they, uh, they pay the bill for you. So when it's your time to eat, you ask, can I get my bill? And the server says, hey, no, you don't have to worry about it. That couple that was just here, they paid your bill for you. And you go, no, no, I want to pay it myself. That's exactly what's happening when we reject Jesus Christ. God's like, listen, the bill's been paid. All you have to do is receive that gift to put your trust in him, to let him pay that bill for you. And there are so many people in this world that are like, no, no, I'm going to go ahead and pay for that myself. They reject it. But sin has been paid for. It's been paid in full. And if you haven't ever received this gift, then I implore you to do it. And I'm looking around the room, and as far as I know, everyone in here is saved. But if you're listening online right now, if you've not received that free gift, I implore you to do it. Don't keep rejecting him. Don't choose to pay for the sin yourself. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, it says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the, fulfill- for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. We have redemption in his blood. We have been completely redeemed, which is good because we've already talked about it multiple times. We all fall short. Every single one of us has a need for redemption. And here's the thing. God is a righteous God, and he said that the wages of sin is death, so that means that there is a penalty for sin. There is a payment that is required, and there's no two ways about it. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Redemption is regaining something through payment. It's the clearing of a debt. And we also have the forgiveness of sins because of the riches of His grace. So many people think that Deep down, they have done things that are too terrible for God to deal with. 
I've had multiple people tell me that they can't come to church because they got to get right with God first. Or if they walk into the church, they'll catch on fire or some other silly thing because the, the, there's this, this, this deep down thought that they think that everything inside of them it could never be forgiven by God. Whatever they've done is so much worse. But the reality is, is there's nothing that anybody could ever do that is too bad because the riches of his grace are unimaginable. We can't exhaust the riches of his grace. If it were left for us to repay, it's true. We could never make it up. We don't have bank accounts big enough. But Jesus does. With God, it's paid by the riches of his grace. You can't exhaust his account no matter how expensive you imagine you're failing to be we were talking in our bible study on on wednesday about um this idea of of the the costs of sin and we we started talking about this uh, we were thinking about do you know anybody the question was asked do you know anybody you know that it, that is so bad you think about it that, that you don't even like them enough you'd want them to be saved you don't think that they should get saved because you, you just think they're terrible anybody know anybody like that so uh, we were talking about this idea. That was a rhetorical hand wave. <laughs> we were talking about this idea, and, and the truth is, is that I asked, I asked, could Hitler have gone to heaven? And so many people, your first gut reaction is like, I don't think so. That dude did some bad stuff. But the reality is, is that had he received Jesus Christ, even in the last moments before his death, he would be in heaven. Now, I don't know if he did or not. At this point, the evidence says probably not likely. But if he's not in heaven, it's not because the offer wasn't available. It's because he didn't ever receive it. And the thing is, we think about Hitler and go, that's awful. But then you look at Paul's life. <laughs> what happened to Paul before he got, he got uh, stricken blind and knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus? He, he was killing Christians. He was dragging them out of their homes. He was doing stuff just as terrible as Hitler ever did. Yet not only was he saved, he's like the, the leading man when it comes to the New Testament. He wrote most of it. He's the one where we get most of our information from, the most revelation from. And he was doing awful things. There was nothing... That there is nothing that we can do that is so bad that God can't redeem. And here's the thing. If you don't believe that's true, we see next that His grace is actually lavished upon us. <laughs> to lavish something is actually to bestow in generous or extravagant quantities. Not only is He given us just enough, it's not like He's given us just enough grace but we're overflowing with grace to deal with. There is more than enough to deal with anything that you've ever done. And it goes on to say, He made known to us the mystery of His will. This word mystery is not the same word that you would use in something like Scooby-Doo. We're not talking about that kind of mystery. We're talk it's not an eerie or scary thing, this mystery we're talking about. Anybody ever watch that show, Unsolved Mysteries? When I was younger, I used to watch that. I was, I was a kid and... Man, I used to love watching it, but man, they terrified me sometimes because that, that unsolved mystery was eerie or scary. That's not what this is talking about. All it's talking about is something that was previously not understood. 
It means a sacred secret once hidden, but now revealed to God's people. (laughs) You see, God's will previously was not fully understood. But that sacred secret has, has now been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. If you've been here a while, you know that one of the phrases that I hate more than anything is this idea that God works in mysterious ways drives me crazy because the truth is is that God's will has been made known in his son in the New Testament we see what God's will is does God want you healed well let's take a look at what Jesus life said Jesus healed everybody that he came in contact with does 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 God want you saved then yeah Jesus came to give his life so that we could be saved we can look at Jesus's life and see what his what God's will is for us and his plan was to come and save the world not condemn it His will is that none should perish, but everyone should receive this free gift. And because of this, this united all things in Him. Before Jesus, there was a separation between the Jew and the Gentile. Before Jesus, there was a separation between God and man. But after Jesus, we were all now united in Him. And we can speak to God face to face, Jew and Gentile alike. We can approach his throne with boldness. Amen. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, this is one of my favorite scriptures. This is probably the second scripture I ever memorized after who can guess the first. John 3.16. Everybody learns John 3.16 first, right? <laughs> that was the first scripture I ever memorized. This was probably the second scripture I ever memorized. And it's because it was the most eye-opening to me. You see, we saw that through Jesus that we have been justified, which means we're forgiven. We've been redeemed, which means our, our debt has been paid. But even more so, we are made brand new. I don't think everyone really grasps the reality of this. We're not like new. If you were to ever buy something, say you're ordering a car or you're buying something online and it said new, if you got it and you found out it was used, how would you feel? And we all know, right? Has anybody ever gotten some from Amazon? You're like, wait a minute, this package was opened. I paid for something that was new. If you actually get a refurbished model when you order something new, you're going to be a little bit upset because you paid for new. You wanted new. It was supposed to be new. Even if it was cleaned up, even if it was repainted, even if it was put through all the tests to make sure that there was necessary to make sure that it was going to function like it was supposed to, even if it was certified or had the same warranty as brand new, all of us would agree it's not new. With Jesus, we've been made brand new. You're not like some car that's got a fresh coat of paint and the inside redone and a new set of tires, but you still got 100,000 miles under the hood. You have been made brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. We're not recertified. We're not refurbished. When you got born again, a supernatural miracle took place, and the old was removed and replaced with new. And here's the thing, this is why we're actually free from sin and death and all of those things, because we are brand new. 
one of the most beautiful things about salvation to me is that God didn't just band-aid the problem. He could have just said, you know what, I'm going to ignore sin. He could have just wiped it away. He could have just, you know, whatever he would have had to do to just say, you know what, sin's not an issue anymore. And that's not really true because if he would have done that, he's no longer God, right? He's got to stay righteous to be God. He has to stay. But, but had he done that, that, would, that, that could have been a fix, right? I know as a parent, I've done that before, right? My kids have done something wrong, but it's like the 47th time I've disciplined them this week. And you're like, you know what? We're just going to ignore that one and let it go because I don't want to discipline them again. God could do that. But if he did, two things would be an issue. One, he wouldn't be God because God has to remain righteous to be God. But two, the problem of sin wouldn't have been fixed. See, here's the thing is we were born sinners, Sin had control over us. We were slaves to sin. We couldn't help but sin. That was the problem with the law. The law forgave sins temporarily, but it never freed you from sin, so you still just kept on sinning. But the beauty of salvation is that not only is sin wiped away, not only is the debt paid, but the problem is resolved. We're set free from sin. We're actually made brand new. And sin no longer has a hold on us. Amen? In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it goes on and says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This actually starts out in the previous verse. Verse 3 says, You were dead in your trespasses and children of wrath. And then it has one of the most important words in the Bible. But, most important word in the Bible is but. My pastor used to always say, you have to have your butts in the right place. So it starts out here, you were dead in your trespasses, but God. He says, he was rich in mercy. He didn't give us what we deserved because of the love that he had for us. Everything that God towards us does towards us is the result of love. It's because he loves us. Even the stuff we don't like, it's because he loves us. His love for us is unfathomable. It's unimaginable and it's without equal. Max Lucado says this, There are many reasons God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty, but one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem, face it, friend, he's crazy about you. And the thing is, is this love, we talked about it earlier, right? It's not because of the things that we do. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he loved us. This was before Jesus came, he loved us. Before we were made new, he loved us. God sent his son to die for us just as we were as sinners, and the greatest mistake that we can ever make is try to get right with God before we approach him. Because you can't get right with God. You need Jesus for that. 
And this is a lie of the enemy. Because the enemy wants you to think that you'll never be good enough. The enemy wants you to think that you're dirty, that you're worthless. But God wants you to come to him just as you are. I was watching a clip uh, several years ago about this uh, man in India who goes down to the slums in India and he feeds the homeless. And these people, they're jobless, they're dirty. And these are the people in India that society is considered unworthy. And I was humbled as I'm watching this because he doesn't just feed them, but he shaves them and he bathes them and he hugs them and he loves them. And when I'm seeing this people, if I'm a little honest, it was kind of grossing me out. Maybe you guys don't have those feelings. And I'm thank God. I'm pray for me. I'm trying to work through some of that stuff. And the good news is, is that I grow more and more every day. But I remember when I watched this the first time, I was like, this, I was, these people were, 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 were filthy. They were terrible. They, were, they, they looked gross. And these were the people that society had rejected. But this man, he went down there. He fed them. He clothed them. He shaved them. He bathed them. He hugged them. And he loved them. I think this is why people have trouble coming to God when they feel unworthy is because we think he thinks like we think. We think that God's a little grossed out. We think that God's not going to want to have anything to do with us. But the reality is, is that God loves you as you are. He's not looking for you to shape up. He's not looking for you to do all the right things. He's just looking for you to come to him and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus paid the debt for all of your failure. This man in India showed these people love and he supplied what he could. But at the end of the day, when he left those people, he didn't change who they were. Sure, they were cleaner. They had a shave, maybe their belly was full, but he didn't change who they were. They were still homeless. They were still jobless. The next day, they would still be hungry and they would be well on their way to getting dirty again. But unlike this man, God will meet you where you are. And not only will he forgive your sins, but he'll make you whole. He won't just give you a bath so that you're clean on the outside for a time, but he cleans you on the inside. You're made brand new. And as long as you remain in the faith, you can never be stained again. Amen. And he'll make you alive together with Jesus. You see, mercy is that part where we're not held accountable for all of our failings. He doesn't give us what we deserved. You know, one of the, if you think about it, one of the craziest arguments you can ever get for somebody to get from somebody when you're telling them about Jesus and how all of us have sinned and because Adam fell, we're all born broken. And they go, you know what? I don't want to be held accountable for what this guy did i just i want to get what i deserve i want to i want to be held accountable for my own stuff the dumbest thing you can ever ask for is to get what you deserve <laughs> ever i'm so thankful that we don't get what we deserve because jesus paid for that jesus took the punishment that we deserved and then grace is all the things that he give us that we didn't deserve because Jesus took what we did deserve and then he gave us a new nature. 
a new spirit inside of us. And because of this, when you receive that free gift, you are saved. And in Galatians 2.21, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is just to nip that idea in the butt that we can somehow do it ourselves, that we can, we can, we can do it by living right. If we just live right enough, then God will save us. But there's a couple problems that you run into. One, every single one of us has fallen short. Every single one of us have sinned. And that one sin, even if you only had one, if somehow you lived your life and you only sinned once, that would be enough to get the death penalty. But two, if you're not born again, the question is asked, is it even possible to live right? And it's not. The truth is, is that if you're not born again, you are a slave to sin. And anything that, that, that you're a slave to is your master. It controls the things that you do. The truth is, is if you're not born again, it's not possible to live right because you're still a slave to sin. And I think many people really believe that one day they're going to stand before God and he's going to put their good deeds on one side and their bad deeds on the other side of the scale and they're just hoping it tips the balance the right way. But the problem is, is they don't recognize the weight of their sin. We talked about that last week, right? Understanding how much sin actually costs. What Jesus went through to pay for that sin. There isn't enough good that you can do to tip the balance. And that's why Paul says this, look, if righteousness were through the law, if righteousness were through the things that I did, if I could do it right, then what's the point of Jesus going to the cross? And some of you even argue, we talked a little bit about it last week, but we would argue about a, a, a God who would send a son to be sacrificed is not a very good God. And like I talked about last week, they misunderstand that Jesus was God, that God actually gave his own life for us. But the thing is, is if, if it wasn't actually necessary for Jesus to go to cross for us to be made righteous, I might, agree, I might agree with him. But the thing is, there was no other way. He had to go to the cross for us. Jesus, God, giving his life for us to pay for it was the only way. There was no other way. His death did have a purpose. And it was for you. And for you. For me. It was to mend something that could never, that we could never mend on our own. You see, we need a Savior. And then we'll go ahead and end on this verse. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Grace is God's amazing gift to us. But you have to take hold of it by faith. This is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how, we, that's how we receive that free gift. That's how you pick it up. Many people argue that, no, if, if that's how it works, then, then faith is actually a work. But the thing is, is, if you read the Bible, nowhere in the Bible ever does it equivocate faith and works. Faith is never considered a work, but we do have to have faith to receive that free gift. 
Another way that I like to, to explain it to people if they have trouble with it is think about this. You called into a radio station and you won the prize. You won, won $100,000. How many know the moment that you won that $100,000 was yours? You were not a proud owner of an extra hundred grand you didn't have the day before. But what do you have to do to get in your bank account? You have to go receive it. It doesn't just show up. You have to go get it. That's what faith is. Salvation is a gift. It's already ours. Salvation is made available to every single person on this earth right now. They just have to receive it through faith. And it's not because of the things that we do, the work that we, that we, we live. Because if we could be good enough, if we could do enough, we wouldn't need God's gift. And if we could do enough, then we could have something to boast about. But it says here, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. It's not the things that we do, the way we live our life. It's a free gift. And it's in us. We're his workmanship. He has accomplished something amazing in us through his son because he has restored us to the position that, that man held before Adam fell. It's his work in us that allows us to be free, to be pure, to be holy, to be righteous, to be confident, to demonstrate his power. All of that is his work in us, his grace working inside of us. And here's the thing that I want everyone to recognize is that, yeah, it's not your works that save you. It's faith that saves you. But you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. It means God has a plan for your life. That God has something that you want to do. Your goal in life should not be to sit on your blessed assurance, but instead to actually work the work that He's created you to work. Now those things aren't what's going to save you. Salvation comes by faith in Him. It's not your works, because if it was your works you could boast, but none of us can boast. Salvation was through Him, but we were created for good works. That's the reality because there should be evidence that something happened in your life. When you get born again, there should be evidence that something transformative happened in your life. This is what James was referring to when he said, faith without works is dead. He says, I tell you what, you show me your faith by my, or you show your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He wasn't saying that his works is what made his faith, that made his faith or what saved him, but the result of his faith caused him to live a life of good works, right? We are his workmanship created in Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan for your life. Everybody who walked in this room this morning, everybody who's listening online, God has a plan for your life. And even before you came to know him, he knew you and knew what he wanted for you. He had a plan for you, a plan for where you would work, for where you would walk. So church, as we talk about who we are as a church, let's be a people who understand and live fully that we're saved by grace. It's a free gift and we're created for good works. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.